Hey there, welcome to Join the Conversation, the Falvey Memorial Library One Book Podcast. I'm your host, Daniela Snyder, a graduate assistant in the Communication and Marketing Department here at the library and a graduate student in the English Department at Villanova. For the 2019-2020 academic year, the One Book Committee selected the national bestseller, I Will Always Write Back, How One Letter Changed Two Lives, written by Villanova alumnus Martin Gonda and Caitlin Ali Frirenka. The true story of an all-American girl and a boy from Zimbabwe and the letter that changed both of their lives forever. It started as an assignment. Everyone in Caitlin's class wrote to an unknown student in a distant place. Martin was lucky to even receive a pen pal letter. There were only 10 letters and 50 kids in his class, but he was the top student, so he got the first one. That letter was the beginning of a correspondence that spanned six years and changed two lives. In this compelling memoir, with an updated epilogue for this edition, Caitlin and Martin recount how they became best friends and better people through their long-distance exchange. The One Book Committee hopes that themes raised by this novel will permeate into academic work, service, and general conversations throughout the rest of the academic year. Falvey Memorial Library is the perfect place to start this academic dialogue and exchange between students, faculty, staff, and administration, and to encourage many voices to join the conversation. To find more content like this, you can find our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter in the podcast description. In this episode, the third of our three-part series, We spend a majority of our time talking about charity and the message Caitlin and her family's act of charity sends to the readers of this book. We discuss intended audiences, how this book influences readers, and we do a close reading of Caitlin's interaction with a local homeless man in part three. Hi, everyone, and welcome to our third episode as part of our One Book podcast mini-series in Falvey Library. This is Daniela Snyder. I've been here this whole time. I don't really need to introduce myself, but I have three brand new and really interesting people here with me today, and I'm going to have them introduce ourselves before we get started. Hi, everyone. My name is Gina Duffy, and I work with Daniela on the communication and marketing uh, team in Falvey Library, and I'm also on the One Book Villanova planning committee. Uh, I'm Samir Aboud. I'm an associate professor of global interdisciplinary studies. And I'm Hezekiah Lewis. I'm a teaching professor in the Department of Communication. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here with me today. Uh, We did kind of already get our conversation started, so let's just jump right back in. So what were some of your first impressions? Pre-reading, first part of the book, what did you connect it to? Uh, First impressions, I'd say... Uh, it's a thick book. Uh, very simple read, though, and I actually listened to the audiobook, and um, as we talked before we started recording, um, I felt like I could sort of relate to the characters a bit because um, when the book came out, I was, like, the same age. So I was in seventh grade and the same time they were. And um, so I could kind of relate with what, was, what they were talking about. Hey, for me, it was a, it was a very interesting read from... Understanding, like I was saying before, I take my students to a different country every year, and you know, most of the time, uh, the students are white um, and you know, very privileged, and really kind of seeing that dynamic in another country and kind of seeing how that, you know, how they're kind of culture shocked. But you know, within that that experience has been such a, I guess, an experience for me to really try to find ways to really adjust and have reflections while we're on the ground there to really talk about the sense of 
privilege and power and what that means and and uh, privilege, power and difference and, and what that truly means to them. So um, for the past few years now, this is something that we really focused on. And, and it's been a dynamic that wasn't really part of the course process when we started. But it's, it's just a natural kind of, a, you know, reflection of, you know, where our world is today. So I think this book kind of hit home for me in many different ways, good and bad. <laughs> um, but I, I really enjoyed, you know, the read overall. Yeah, I, uh, in my introduction class, we often talk about, uh, you know, we try to ask questions about the structure of uh, global politics, the distribution of power and resources and hierarchy. Uh, and it so happens that in uh, my class this year, we've had a lot of uh, complicated uh, conversations about the white savior complex, yeah. uh, about uh, systemic change versus kind of individual change, these sorts of things. So when I was reading it, I was really thinking about what would my students in that class think? How could how, what would a discussion based on everything we've been doing? What would that look like? Um, on another level, I come from a, a family that is spread out and. Um, my grandmother, aunts, cousins uh, in Lebanon for many years have been, I wouldn't say dependent, but reliant on remittances. Mm -hmm. So on that level, like thinking of the role of um, people on the outside who support on the inside, I mean, everything from rent to tuition to, to medicine. So um, yeah, I, I thought that part was, um, you know, I related to that. And, mm -hmm. and I, but I kept thinking, you know, how would my students think about this in mm -hmm. relation to what we talk about in the class and in the program? Yeah, well, white savior was a phrase that I feel like I frequently wrote um, when I was reading this. And also, what it was basically my first impression before even reading, right? If you look on the, the back side of the book, um, and maybe, yeah, just like the true story of an all-American girl and a boy from Zimbabwe and the letters that changed both of their lives forever. And, and even though it says that it changed two lives, the, the way that I kind of understood it to be was like, I was like, I know kind of how I think this story is going to go. And it seems like it's going to be dissimilar from the other narratives that I've read or the movies that I've seen, right? Um... But I think it it cha it challenged that presupposition in, in some capacity, mm. um, and, and yeah, and I think it should have. I think it should have if we were gonna read it. But um, I also didn't think about the fact that like Caitlin never went to Zimbabwe, mm. <laughs> and I and I don't know if she has, right? Yeah. But I yeah. it makes me wonder if you know if her impressions would have been similar to some of your students upon first arriving in a different country, what their, you know, their ideas would have been like. I mean, it's, it's tough because it's so, you know, my first time ever going out of the country, and for me it's, it's hard because being African-American, that's something that I'm going to talk about a little bit later. So a comment that she made about joining the African-American yeah. Awareness Club, yeah. um, yeah. and they didn't yeah. care about Africans. It yeah. was more about, you know, empowerment and you know, so that to me was something that was very problematic, um, you know, but that sense of identity is so important to me and, and being African-American and not really knowing where I'm from on the continent. So that, that bridge has been burned since slavery. So it's really hard for me to really identify a lot with what's going on in Africa, but I know that there's something there, right? I don't, I know I have family there, but I don't, I can't really pinpoint who they are, where they are, names have been changed and all that. Um, you know, wearing the daishiki, the foods that they wear, the, you know, the foods that they eat and things that they do is just so different. And 
you know, when I go, it's, it's always, uh, you know, an awakening for me. So my very first experience was in Ghana and, you know, going to the slave castles and seeing the door, no return. And just knowing that that was, you know, where my history, where my family came from was just so awakening for me. So, you know, every time I go to a different country on the continent, it's just such a different awakening. And, and it's just seeing so many different, you know, just similarities that I just I know it's I know it's something there, but I just can't really wrap my arms around mm-hmm. it. It's just a visceral experience. But, you know, looking at my students and, and you know, we just did a film called Sankofa um, and, you know, two years ago in Ghana. And, and that was about the loss of black identity due to slavery and colonialism, uh, black male identity. And, and it was only one, you know, you say you had a, a Dr. Lucky's, but Dr. Lucky's son was one of the only black, you know, male students in the class. And mm-hmm. his experience was totally different from, you know, the majority of the class experience. And that sense of connection was so important for him where he was struggling with identity less so than the charity part of it like you saw the the, the poverty you see and it's like you know people feel so bad they're so sorry but they're not victims you know and I think a lot of times we we get into that process of really victimizing a lot of these folks and um, you know when you watch the film and you kind of see the young man from Ghana we parallel him with a young man from North Philadelphia the young man from North Philadelphia saying oh man I want to get him some shoes uh, I need to get him some new clothes. And the young man from Ghana was like, I feel bad for the young man in America. <laughs> you know, he's like lost. Like you guys are right. shooting each other, killing each other. Yeah. So it's that sense of like understanding what charity truly means. And it's different for everybody. You know, for me, you know, like my rule of thumb is really telling the students, you know, you really have to immerse yourself in this experience and, and really kind of put your, your kind of own personal accounts into like what, you know, what these folks are going through. But at the same time, there's a lot of, you know, pluses that we can get from these folks as well. Uh, you know, we just came back from uh, Tanzania and there's a community of people that don't have running water. And what does that mean? So we go out and get everybody tap water. We give everybody bottled water. Like that was always an issue. We had to watch where we drink our water. How much can we can you just give them water? It's like, well, you give one person water. You got 30 other people that's out mm-hmm. there. So are you going to continue giving water every single day? So it's like. Where is the line and how do you kind of, you know, right. line of whatever charity or whatever you want to call it and independence and things like that. But it's like, you know, but if we give them this water, then what does that do? It takes away that sense of community at times. But at the same time, we, you know, we know what our mission is. We want to give them a well, but we don't want to put taps in every single home. That's just not, you know, that's what we see as the Western world. But at the same time, this is a sense of community for them to come to these DP or domestic points to get water, mm-hmm. to have this kind of communal experience. Are we taking away from something if we say, hey, you know, we're going to fix this problem? So there's a lot of, you know, you know, kind of misconceptions of what giving is and what that truly means. And I think that's something that I had a lot of conversations with my students about is, yes, we're here, but we're not here to fix a problem. We're here to have a conversation and figure out ways that, you know, because it's 2019 and people are digging in the ground getting water. That's a problem. That's very problematic. But how do we do this in the right way where we're not just kind of putting a Band-Aid on the situation and also looking at we're the saviors? Because once we leave, then what's a sustainable solution to this problem? Right. And that's the, that's the issue I always have is what is sustainable when, you, when you're giving charity? And I think it shouldn't be just somebody depending on somebody else. And mm-hmm. once that, that source is gone, then it's over. So what sustainable solutions that we can have when we talk about charity? So I guess my question for both of you gentlemen then is your impression of Caitlin and her family's sort of charity to Martin um obviously it doesn't fix a systemic problem which is something that frustrated me because I think 
maybe this is like also ingrained in me in academia, but we're talking, we talk about systemic problems, systemic mm-hmm. oppression and ways of trying to fix that. Um, and so like you don't get that kind of relief or solution here, mm-hmm. but also, you know, there were things other than money, but it was primarily money. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? What is what is your academic, I guess also like personal understanding of how that sort of played out in this book? Yeah, I think um, one of the... So first, I want to say, obviously, it's a good thing that he was provided support Mm -hmm. as an individual. I mean, that's not... Nobody's disputing that. Nobody's criticizing that. Um, I think one thing that I kept thinking about when reading the book is um, how would Caitlin and her family explain Martin's situation? Mm -hmm. Like, how do they understand the specific situation that Martin is in? And if they understand it as somebody who is down on their luck for example, or uh, there's, uh, I think, on page 184, with reference to the um, homeless person, the Uh, pizza, where uh, there's actually a question, what would lead somebody to choose that lifestyle? That's not a choice, right? Right. I mean, I'm fairly certain that people do not choose uh, those. And so um, I think for me, thinking about... Um, how Caitlin and her family might explain change, right? Is change just rallying the troops at the church or rallying people at Villanova to provide? I mean, that's impossible. Even they say it. Like, we have two kids in college. We're helping. Lord. Like, we can't do this. You know, this family can't do it. And no matter how much Caitlin and her family rally people in the community, it's unsustainable. Mm-hmm. So then what's the next step? Right. So this um, this example of uh, Caitlin attending the student meeting, I also had this very similar reaction. I thought, well, instead of being critical of these students for speaking about speaking in terms of empowerment and speaking about themselves uh, as disenfranchised or or whatever it was, the specific language, why not reflect and say, okay, this is how I can be supportive or. Um, I'm going to provide this level of support to Martin. I'm going to send my money over there. But at the same time, I'm also going to think about what are the structural inequalities that produce many Martins Mm -hmm. in Zimbabwe and around the world. And I think that um, that's not part of the book. And that's fine. (laughs) You know, it's a big book as it is. Uh, But that's certainly something that was on my mind. Sort of what's the next step now that Martin's here? Does that does it stop? Uh, or do we take the, uh, the next step? The last thing I'll say is there's a really interesting part of the book where Caitlin is reflecting on 9-11 while, ju- while also talking about U.S. sanctions against Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. And, and the, that juxtaposition is like right there for us mm-hmm. to see as the reader. Yeah. And there's no connection made. There's no discussion about... Um, for example, the role that economic sanctions play or uh, the role of the, the unequal distribution of global resources. And it's right there uh, mm-hmm. in, in the text. So I think that uh, both as the reader and as a teacher, those are really interesting teaching moments to contemplate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, also, like I said, we don't know. We talked about a little bit earlier. Did they actually go? You know, mm-hmm. have they actually been um, and saw his homeland and, and not just read about it or mm-hmm. kind of uh, going through the letters. And because there's not, you know, you can't really get the true essence of something by reading, you know, really kind of being there in the visceral environment and really smelling and hearing the, the sounds. And, you know, for me, it's it's really 
it's hard because I, I would not, because I cannot, I, just, I can't afford to do what the family did, right? Mm. Because I have, I've been to South Africa, I've been to Ghana, I've been to Ethiopia, I've been to Tanzania. Every time I go to these countries, I meet a new friend, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and it's a very, um, it's, it's sad but true, but it's like they, they, they ask for a lot, you know, and they do ask for help, they do ask for money, they do ask... But for me, you know, the very first time I had my experience in Ghana, I was shooting a film called Warrior Queen, and every time I got off set, everybody was in line just asking for money, mm. asking for money, mm. asking for money. And I'm a student. Mm. I had no money. You know, <laughs> right. um, and it was almost like when you go to these places, they, they'll run up and, you know, beg for this and beg for that. But it's like, I feel bad because it's like, it's, there's almost this, this kind of hustle that they have mm. to try to get you before mm. you leave because you're not coming back. And mm. I always come. I've been to Ghana over 20 times now. And I kept saying I'm coming back, but they didn't believe me. It was mm-hmm. almost like, no, they needed to get what they needed to get mm-hmm. now. And, you know, but because you, they know that you're going to break this promise. And I think the biggest thing I learned is like, you know, you cannot promise anybody anything mm-hmm. without keeping that word. Even a little thing like I'll call you or I'll email you back yeah. or, you know, I'll get Facebook. I, I, you can look at my Facebook page and literally every day I'm getting a message from somebody new in Ghana or Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. And it's just a simple hi. How are you doing? What's going on? Hey, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? And I, I'm real. I, I just I don't have the financial right. you know, you know, ability to do that right now. Um, but you can do X, Y, and Z or reach out to this person or try to reach this organization. So just giving them kind of realistic expectations, I think, is what I kind of learned myself because if I did give a dollar to everyone, I would literally be almost at the $10,000 rate every <laughs> every month right. that everybody that I, that asked me for money. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it's for me, it's, it's really kind of building those genuine relationships. But also, mm-hmm. you know, if I, you know, as I bring my four-year-old on trips with me now mm-hmm. to these different countries, is teaching him the sense of how global our societies are, um, you know how you know and how reachable we are. Especially now, we don't. I mean, you know, I love the, the whole letter right now, but mm-hmm. now you you have access mm-hmm. to internet. I could Facetime somebody on Facebook now. You know, I could yeah. Facetime people, <laughs> and it's like the instant the instant kind of gratification of communication is always there now. But I think it's it's interesting in this day and age how I try to show and and, and have them even. I have friends now that's coming to the states and. And really kind of getting their preconceived notion about what the United States yeah. is. Yeah. This is not for everyone, you yeah. know, and, I, and I'm trying yeah. to be as real as yeah. possible with them. You might think this is a dream, this is amazing, this is a great, but this does not maintain. I think it kind of came close. I think it was Wallace was the character that yeah. his character kind of like was like, oh, this is not what I thought it was really, yeah. you know, and they talk about the hamburgers, they talk about this, <laughs> and you can't take people's food. I got written up for taking my friends with They don't share. Like, it's yeah. like, it blew my mind. Like, mm-hmm. So for me, it's like, I, 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 I appreciate what they did, but for me, it was it would not be a sustainable kind of solution to uh, be able to give because if I'm giving to one, my mind I got to give to mm. everyone. That right. and is what makes you know Martin more important than such and such and Richard than Adun than you know uh, you know the, the the women I just met in Malolo. It, it, it's such a it's a hard it's a hard thing to deal with, but I don't fault them at the same time because yeah. I think Absolutely. they really did change this man's life. Right. You know, and this is a really feel good story, but there's. A, 10,000 other stories out there that I'm always in, in my, my work and my, my life is about trying to figure out the sense of like building that bridge back to the continent. So my mission is a little bit higher than one person, but I'm glad that, you know, they did reach that one person. They stay committed to that one person. But for me, it just wouldn't be my tactic. Yeah. Um, 
You know, one thing that I was thinking about when I was reading this is uh, I'm originally from Canada of Lebanese descent and, um, you know, Canada's really opened the doors to mm-hmm. a lot of Syrian refugees. Mm-hmm. And there's a Vietnam era program that allows groups of five to sponsor uh, Syrians. And it hasn't been all honky do. It hasn't been great. Mm-hmm. I mean, there have been some uh, a lot of problems, um, a lot of misfits uh, and things like that. But what's really interesting, and I've seen this in my friends, Um, A lot of my friends, people that I know, have joined these groups of five. So they've put up money. They've made this kind of one-year commitment Mm -hmm. to help people. But then you just see this kind of transition, right, where they start thinking, okay, how can we help them in the schools? How can we advocate at the provincial level? How can we advocate at the city level to get services in Arabic? How can we – and it becomes this, like, catalyst towards structural Mm -hmm. change. And um, I think, like – that yes, exactly. I mean, Martin and Lawrence. It's not reasonable for the parents and Galen to 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 kind of sustain them for all that time. So then, what? Like, what do you do after that? Once you've reached the limit of that of that support, um, then what? What do you do? I think for her too. This, uh, you know, if I'm the parents, I would try to hopefully that we, as a family, we can have a better understanding of colonialism, right? Yeah, um, <laughs> slavery, right? Yeah. So. You know, yes, this is a, a immediate problem. But where does this problem occur, right? And really thinking about the, the the history of that, like, you know, we did a film, like I said, our first film in Ghana was about post traumatic slave syndrome and its effect on education, mm-hmm. you know, the educational mm-hmm. system. But in there, it was post colonialism, right? Yeah. So when you think about this concept of like, what is colonialism? What is what is slavery? And how does that really affect what happens today? I think for me, that's a better lesson than giving twenty dollars, you know, because I think Absolutely. you have a better understanding yeah. of. Yeah of, you know, society. And she probably had a better awareness of this African-American Awareness Club on what the word, why they were so at passionate about being in power. And I think their the resolution was like, well, won't be joining that club, yeah. you know, right. in one yeah. meeting. So yeah. for me, I, I just wish I could, you know, talk to her for a minute and, and have, her, have a better understanding of why, you know, the, these, these, especially the African-Americans were so, you know, in, like oh, really mm-hmm. fired up about empowerment because they have an understanding of what colonialism and slavery has done to their brothers and sisters across the, the world, and they do care. It's just that there's a lot that's happening here that they have to deal with in order to kind of build that bridge back to the continent, and you know, hopefully that you know change can happen. But it's a long term, you know, it's a long term struggle, and I don't think any charity is going to fix the problem in our lifetime, unfortunately. But I think that you know people like her and and, and really. It's good to kind of get that immediate gratification, but I think thinking on the long term, we need allies like her to really speak up about, you know, the plight of, of, of African and African-Americans. And I think that, to me, would be the solution I would want to give my kid. Like I said, my four-year-old, I want him to learn the importance of his culture, his history, um, really have a true understanding of how colonialism and slavery has really affected his plight now. And being African-American is... It, there's there's so much to this process than more you know and there's so much to learn than just kind of giving financially mm-hmm. or giving you know your kind of resources or your your friendship I think it's a lot more deeper than mm-hmm. if I'm just going to give somebody a financial uh, benefit but can it help yeah yeah you know, there yeah. are there great stories like this that you know I think it's amazing twenty dollars can go a long way mm-hmm. and I think that's amazing mm-hmm. but like I said for me it just would be sustainable. Yeah, I, I have a 10-year-old daughter who uh, thinks about the world in really interesting mm. ways. And we've gone to Morocco, and my wife is Moroccan, I'm Lebanese, we go to Canada a lot. She's going to Mexico this year wow. on a school exchange trip. I, I want her to read this. I'm going to get yeah. her this book. Because a few years ago, my wife 
um, was on the Martin Luther King Day committee at my kid's school. And what they used to do was pack lunches and go to the mm-hmm. school. And my wife said, this is, isn't what the message is. I mean, it's sending the wrong message to the kids that you have privilege and you should share. And so my wife kind of really helped reorient the curriculum for the day. So they maintained the filling the lunch boxes because that was like mm-hmm. important to some people. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, they read about protests, they read about social movements, they read mm-hmm. about, they, they had in, I think, the upper level classes, like, were thinking about it beyond, like they were thinking about how they could be activists and organizers, as opposed wow. to just, like, do, you know, right, fi- right. like filling the brown paper bag. And I wow. think that, like, I think this, in many ways, for Caitlin, hopefully, and for her family, but also for readers, is the entry point to make that next step. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I don't want to do any type of discredit to Caitlin or Martin, no, no. right? And we had mentioned sort yeah. of our criticisms on maybe how this book was written. Mm. Um, but the actual story itself, the story that doesn't appear in here... Uh, I always want to acknowledge in my mind that, like, she did this type of charity, but she also, they together, made sure that a book came out of it, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't know who who prompted them to write this mm-hmm. book or what, but it's read by hundreds, maybe thousands of, like, junior high and high school students, which is, I think, the kind of reading level that the book is at. Yeah. And so it's, like, perfectly matched <coughs> for young people who are in sort of like in Caitlin's position, sort of like discovering themselves, yeah. discovering yeah. what they stand for. And so this is in some way beyond just like giving $20, right? This is something that is impacting so many people to at the very least think differently mm. about how they might see the world is my hope. Mm. Um, does this, like some of the students I've spoken to have read this book I've said, you know, similarly to you, like, I can't do this, right? Like, I can't do what Caitlin did. And so, unfortunately, some of them kind of throw their hands in the air and say, like, well, this isn't feasible for me. Mm. And I I think that that's not all the book is trying to say. Mm. I think they're not trying to say the only thing that you can do is Mm. give money to one family and help their son come to the United States. Mm. I think it's about a lot more than that, but the story doesn't say that, right? Like there's no afterword from Caitlin that says, by the way, there's this systemic problem that, that I didn't understand when I was 14, right? Like we don't get that. Mm. And that could be some type of editorial decision, but I think a lot gets omitted from this story that Mm. would make it a lot more redeeming. Yeah. I think, um, be interesting to have Caitlin and Martin in the room now yeah. and to see yeah. because I, I think that there is this kind of kind of thread or reference point that the narrative keeps going back to um, that reinforces um, some of the things that we're talking about and being a bit critical about and uh, but I think in terms of teaching it mm-hmm. you can certainly highlight or have these discussions right and right. say well this is where I think it could move forward like I'm not sure when Caitlin you know towards the end I know we're speaking about one section in particular but toward the end when she's speaking with the middle schoolers mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. if be kind be generous is the final message like I, yeah. I you know that's what the that's what the writer tells us uh, is the final message, but I, I'm sure there's a, a lot more depth to that. Like, I don't think that you establish a relationship with somebody for that long and 
go through that period of your like you know that's a significant big, yeah it's he was significant. It at her wedding right like well yeah. into adulthood relationship yeah and they've you know I've writing a book is tough <laughs> and it's uh, stressful and I you know I've written a book with another person I mean I know that that's not how it happened but there's clearly a relationship there and I think that um, yeah I, I I think there's probably more depth to uh, or a wider range of 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 the message than than be kind yeah yeah one thing I would you know definitely if she was sitting in the room you know I know she always talked about about not seeing color, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that was, you know, and, and I, I saw it, it, it kind of came up early in the book and then it came back again, but I was waiting on it to kind of manifest and mm-hmm. to, you know, kind of think a little bit deeper about, you know, with her experience with Martin, um, does she see color now, right? Does she kind of get a yeah. sense of that, you know, but... Like I said, I don't know, you know, are there more? Is there more kind of a subtext that we're not really uh, diving into? But just from, like, my read of it, I was praying, A, I would love to, you know, hear that she ever, ever planned to go to his home. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, how does she, have she had, a, you know, a kind of an extensive relationship even with an African-American or sat down with an African-American, um, you know, person and to really mm-hmm. talk about, you know, that sense of empowerment? Because I just... There's a lot of like questions that I have yeah. about her development. Um, we kind of get a yeah. sense of what he did and how you know he got here, and it was a very triumphant moment. But what was her growth through the process as well? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like you said, more to me yeah. and kind of being generous. But I think mm-hmm. this should have been. A, I think this is a very transform like transformative experience for her as well. Yeah. Right. But I would definitely guarantee you it would probably been ten times you know tenfold if she actually would you know went to his hometown and. And got a chance to experience that world as well firsthand. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I think there's a lot of questions that I would have for her. Um, but, you know, I do commend, you know, the fact of doing something like this to really at least spark conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I love the fact that she stayed committed to writing, you know, especially mm-hmm. in this day and age with the, you know, advent of, of, of you know, technology that, that it is. I mean, it was, it was interesting because I was just thinking about if I even wanted to write a letter to the women that we just met. They don't even get mail, you know. So yeah. it's like you know, yeah. we go like we were so, and so I'm like, you know, just I'm I'm super committed to when we make these relationships, how to sustain relationships, and this is something that I always tell my students all the time. When we go on these different trips. Is hey, mm. you never promise them something that you can't mm. keep, you know, like money mm. or anything. If you promise them, you're gonna give them a, a t-shirt. You, you make sure they get that t-shirt as soon as you get back. Whatever it is, mm. like, and and how do you how do you sustain relationships? Because And that's why I always tell my students, this is not a class. This is an experience. And you can graduate and leave, but I still have to maintain relationships with these folks for the rest of my life, whether you like it or not. You know, and I'm hoping that y'all do the same to help me out because I'm on film 12 and I've built substantial relationships with every single person in all the films that we deal with. And I still talk to them to this day. So the importance of keeping your word and sometimes it's not about money. It's just literally about just having that conversation or replying to their message or you know, doing whatever you can, and and you know, my main my main mission now is to bring the film back. You know, and, and not only the film. You know, for us, it's like you know, we can go and we can make a film. You can write a book, but what's the sustainable solutions? And that's all I always mm-hmm. kind of harp on with my students now. And now they're trying to build two wells to you know be able to fill seven hundred plus you know families. Right. You know, and now 
that's not just a water bottle. And that's all I was telling. Like, we can have easily gave all our water bottles and left. But now we have a sustainable solution that's going to last for many decades. And right. hopefully, you know, for the rain or the time there. But that's what I want my students to really kind of get a sense out of these experiences and really kind of connecting with these communities is this is they're not that untouchable. Like yeah. they're, they're yeah, yeah. even nowadays, it's so much more accessible to build these relationships with mm-hmm. the other, you know, whatever mm-hmm. that means in quotation. So, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that's something that I want people to kind of stay away from. And I can't tell you how disheartening it is. The fear factor of going to the continent. Yeah. I literally dealt with it, you know, less than three weeks ago, I had parents calling, um, you know, demanding that, we don't, you know, we don't take the students to uh, Tanzania because of the fear of uh, they were they were covering up Ebola, <laughs> which was mind blowing to me and, and disheartening to hear it and, and to read it. And it was just like, wow, like every time I do a program on a continent, it's, it's a major fear factor for to take our students to these different places. And it's heartbreaking. But I love, you know, our school. They really support me in that process and really help us. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maintain that connection to the continent because I just think people have a, a very a, a misconception of this continent, you know, and it's almost like a dark continent. Um, but I feel like once my students go there and they bring these stories back, not just the films, but their personal stories, it really breaks down that wall even more. Yeah. So I would definitely encourage her, you know, I'm glad she wrote the book, go experience it, you know. I know that Martin came back. And he gave a talk. Did he talk about his, like, sustained friendship with Caitlin? Did he talk about any of that stuff? He did. Um, they are still super involved. Like, cool. he's been to her wedding. He, I think he said he's the godchild of one, at least one of her children. Okay. So, cool. and there's a bunch of, he showed a bunch of pictures of them together. Um, he did not mention if he had ever gone to Zimbabwe, but he did say that, like, he was paying, it for, like, he was sending mm. money back home. Mm. And, like, he bought his parents, like, a new house and everything. So cool. he still goes back. And I know that Caitlin's the one who does a majority of these, like, school tours, like, similar mm. towards, towards the end of the book. I know she continues to do that. I found her on Instagram. I was, like, interested <laughs> in seeing what she was, like, oh, currently cool. doing. Okay. And her majority of her, like profile or what she's like putting out is about the book is about going mm. to schools and spreading this message and it seems like kind of like how we have a one book other mm-hmm. like lower level schools are mm. are incorporating it as like their one book so I just I almost wanted to, her to like come on this podcast right. like I kind of That'd felt about like like yeah. getting into her dms and like asking her if she <laughs> wanted to be here mm-hmm. because if Martin was here I felt like maybe her perspective could have been really interesting too. Yeah, or um, have her verbalize the afterward. Right, <laughs> like, like I want. Yeah, don't write it. I want yeah. an act. Like yeah. I want something that, because well, you had mentioned it already, but page twenty nine, right? Like, the phrase or the sentence, I guess halfway down the page, it says, "I know it may sound naive, but I thought then, as a twelve year old girl, what I think now, mm-hmm. regardless of the color of our skin, we're all the same, and that what I think now." is like mm-hmm. that was tough for me to wrestle with because her character starts off like how you had expressed sort of frustration I was like wow I hope I wasn't like this yeah. when I was 12 <laughs> um that what I think now sort of puts her perspective on the world like into our current moment and that's when it starts to become mm-hmm. really troubling she does seem to mature and she does seem yeah. to sort of take action but then it's like 
she backpedals a bit. Right. Well, the, yeah. The, the story doesn't seem like it could end with her saying, I now understand the anger of those students. Like, I understand, mm. you know, that when right. she was, like, mm. so I think that's, that's sort of that constant reference, like, let's mm-hmm. go back to this. And, and I think, you know, right. one thing that I tell my students is that, like, asking why people are people of color are so angry is the wrong question. It's like, mm-hmm. why, should, why aren't they angrier? <laughs> right. Because of their experiences. Right. And, like, what do you know about that anger? Like, right. you know, and, and I think that saying we're all the same um, is, is a very nice sentiment, but mm. I think... It, it doesn't get us to the point of thinking beyond generosity, beyond charity. Right. It's almost like privilege, like you always say. You know, we talk about privilege and power once again. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I have, I have friends who are, you know, I, I consider really good friends of mine who are white. And whenever we talk about privilege, it's almost like it's a bad word, you know, and it's almost like mm-hmm. it's offensive to them. Mm-hmm. You're privileged. Like, I'm privileged, you know. Yeah. It's, like, it's just money. money. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. can't give it's kids like, that it's yeah. not it's just not about a, money. Yeah, right. It's not a bad yeah. uh, How do you use that yeah. privilege? Exactly. And yeah. I think that's, you know, perfect example here yeah. is like they they use it in their, in their way, you know, it was like they saw it as a good way to help somebody and that's what they did mm-hmm. and I think everybody can use it in different ways and I commend them for sticking through and getting this young man you know an opportunity which is mm-hmm. great you know in many ways but I just think you know we got all got to kind of check our privileges you know and kind yeah. of figure out ways to how do we use that privilege and power for the better right mm-hmm. and that's why I always tell my students like no matter what, like, even as a student, I was privileged going to Ghana. I had way more opportunities mm. than a lot of the Africans who were there and, mm. you know, the Ghanaians and everywhere I go from Ghana, you know, Ghana to Tanzania to Ethiopia, like, mm. you know, I, I have a lot of privileges and, mm. and just the opportunity to freely go back and forth mm. to these different places, get a visa, do this, do mm. like, you can't imagine the, the, the madness they have to go through just to get here. You know? oh. And then once they're here, it's like, was it really oh. worth it for a lot of yeah. them? You know, right. so... It's just, you know, I think we just have to really kind of check our privileges and, and understand it's not a bad word to say that, but how do you how do you use that in ways for the better to really evoke some type of positive social change? That's another omission I wish had occurred in the book is more of Martin's perspective once he came to the United yeah. States and especially yeah. as a Villanova student. It makes yeah. me wonder if that was yeah. originally part. I mean, maybe that's because we're at Villanova and so we wanted more. I wanted more about his time at mm. Villanova or... If it was originally going to be part of it, more of like some right. of Wallace's perspectives, right? <laughs> um, Throw Wallace. In he did talk head. about some of it Good. when he visited. Yeah, he, he, he kind of like echoed that thing that Wallace was saying about how they think about things differently. Like food, if you're done with it and you put it in the fridge, you think <laughs> that's where anyone, anybody can eat it. But he said <laughs> that did not go over too well with his roommate yeah. when he ate something that was a roommate's, <laughs> and basically just like his. Uh, roommate was like getting majestic to like life in general just like mm. I think one of the quotes was like just stop being weird it's like <laughs> I'm just being myself right wow. but mm. I wonder um, how that would have impacted the story if it were part of this book you yeah know? Um, Dr. Kata knew uh, knew Martin oh, when wow. he was a student okay. here and so last episode I was like tell me some you know, tell me some <laughs> Martin stories yeah. wow. and he essentially said you know the the Martin that we saw for four years here is pretty much the Martin from the first part of the book. Mm. It was very much like a wall was kind of put up and we always saw this like very happy, mm. smiling Martin. Mm. We never knew mm. about what was going on at home. Mm. 
Yeah, there, there's a really interesting <coughs> article written by a Harvard professor recently about um, financial aid at universities. I'm, I'm forgetting his name now, but about uh, how basically financial aid doesn't cut it when you're on campus. That's not it's not your tuition bill that is the only thing you need pay. I mean, there are all sorts of other things that um, make kind of the. Day, the everyday a grind you know it's mm-hmm. tough to get around it's tough to find food it's tough to get you know like all these things and it was yeah. just this really interesting article and I shared it with my students when we we're sort of talking about um, these questions of international development like look this is happening on our campus yeah. uh, that there are students who we think oh you know they're getting a free ride or all oh, they're getting this right. but there's there's a lot more behind that <laughs> yeah. Um, Absolutely. yeah you know I think um, I just want to uh, it's okay to to, to speak to something that Hezekiah was saying about, uh, like, right, so I work in this um, network, in this project that's based out of Beirut, uh, and we work with Arab-based scholars from Morocco to Yemen, and it's really fascinating and it's really wonderful, but, like, one of the things that we struggle with as people from the outside is, like, is our research, is our, 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 our friendships extractive? You know, are we only mm. extracting from a place? Yeah. Mm. Like, do, do I parachute in, you know, this guy from Philly? and I come in, oh, okay, mm. so I get some data, I get some research, I interview some people, and then I'm gone. Yeah. And I go back to my fancy job, and I get mm. tenure, and I get whatever, and that is a completely extractive relationship yeah. where I am just taking, I'm not giving. And so one thing that we struggle with in terms of knowledge production, which this is producing knowledge, yeah. you know, this yeah. is a form of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. production the films are a form of knowledge yeah. production that like how can we do this in a way that isn't extractive mm-hmm. and so like what one thing like what is what are Caitlin and her family extracting out of this is it their happiness or is there a genuine like what you're talking about this stuff with the friendships that hits home yeah. you know because when you go and start establishing relationships with people you have to keep them yeah. I if you can imagine this I just received a massive package from a colleague in Syria who went out of his way to to go to Lebanon when he was in Lebanon and send me documents. I mean, this guy's living in a war zone. And I was, you know, I just, I'm still struggling with how to repay that other than saying thank you. You know, like, what do you do? Like, can I send you a compliment? Like, it it doesn't. So um, I I think that's a big struggle for us is like how to, how to avoid just extracting things from, Mm -hmm. from people and, and places, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's why, like, going there is so important, like yeah. being present, yeah. seeing, and, you know, then it's not extractive, then it's not about feeling good about yeah. yourself, it's about something else, it's about making change, and about not just, like, oh, I'm privileged, so I can't do anything, or, oh, I'm privileged, I should only do this, right. it's, it's about working in collaboration with people yeah. uh, mm-hmm. to bring about change. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's such an important because one thing we always get to when we make these international films is there's a water crisis down the street, right? Yeah. Why don't you just go to Flint? Why you have to go across the country or across mm-hmm. the world, you know, to actually tell this story? Um, and we, you know, that's a question you know every year we get, and, and usually we we try to parallel and find universality in the themes, right? So you know, going to these different places, like you know, yes, yeah, she has the you know a pen pal with you know with this you know young man from you know the continent, but 
what about a pen pal from a kid down the street in North yeah. Philly? Yeah. Um, you know, and that's why, you know, for me, it's always trying to figure out if we're having these stories and we're kind of connecting these stories. I think it's important for us to understand the universality of what these stories really can tell, um, especially when you're dealing with these issues of, of like I said, colonialism and, and you know, slavery in, as way, but in this case, colonialism, because she doesn't really kind of dive a lot into what's happening to the black plight here. Um, which is interesting because I think the only mention was that one moment. That's why I'm so yeah. like, oh, yeah. but I'm, I'm, I wish I want to ask her more questions about just that that sense of understanding the connection of the, of all of them, right? And mm-hmm. like, how can we how can we make that uh, clear in this process? But you know, and it's, it's 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 hard because for me, it's like always thinking about this idea of like when I go, but when I come back home. How can I share these stories? Um, and film is, is great, but, you know, not a lot of people are going to festivals. You know, you're right. not going to be on NBC. But, you know, that's why we do a conference. And now we're trying to get, you know, different uh, you know colleges involved to try to build a more sustainable solution to these issues of water. Right. We have a great engineering program here. Why can't we do a program yeah. there and then, you know, and, and have them do a water project in these different villages that we were in? And that's going to last a lot longer than our film. Um, <laughs> right. They might not even see the film. Right? Mm-hmm. How do they watch the film? Yeah. yeah. You know, they don't have phones. Right? They don't have computers. So if I don't bring back a generator, a portable screen <laughs> and a projector, they would never see right. these stories. You know, and it's so sad to think of that. But it's like there's a lot of people who like poured out their lives to us mm-hmm. but if I don't take the physical if I physically don't go back and, and, and kind of forcefully show this film mm-hmm. they probably would never see it and they, they don't even they, the concept of even showing the film to the world it's like mm-hmm. uh, or whatever like you know okay but this is my and they'll literally mm-hmm. pour out the I mean the most heart-wrenching story you ever it was so emotional that the, the students had to like go and, and they were in tears and then the yeah. people in the areas they were like they were more concerned about us yeah. and our our emotional well-being right. than they were about their plight. And it was just like, it, it was mind-blowing. But mm. how do you give back? You know, they gave so much to us, but there's nothing that we can do, money, yeah. anything that we can do that can give back to what they gave to us and, and the growth that they showed us and our, you know, my students. But I always tell them, like, we have to find ways to make sure that we can find these sustainable ideas. I'm trying to get nursing involved, the business school involved, engineering school involved, so we can talk about these sustainable relationships that can build upon not just giving, because it's like we're not fixing the problem. Like, there's no way we can fix a problem in our lifetime, but we can start the conversation and dialogue about just how global our societies are and, and, and think about that sense of community that we can all learn from. Like, yes, we have a water crisis there, but they also have a strong community. They have a sense of family. They have a sense of appreciation. And that can go a long way that, you know, in, in our processing as we grow. So, you know, I'm glad. And that's why I'm hoping, you know, she got a lot of appreciation to kind of just hearing those stories. But I'm mm-hmm. praying once again that she actually gets a chance to go and experience yeah. that as well. Because mm-hmm. I guarantee you it, has, it probably hasn't changed as much as, you know, since the first letter she wrote to them, which yeah. is unfortunate. So I have a question. And it's, I think you both have really touched on how you would go about teaching this book Mm -hmm. if you were to incorporate it in your classes. But I guess now my question is, how do you think your typical Villanova student that's in one of your classes is reading this book? Mm -hmm. Is it similarly to you or would you have to sort of like undo or reteach whatever 
interpretation they're getting from it. How do you think other professors are teaching this book? I'm thinking about like an ACS class or or theology or some something in that capacity. How how do you think the how do you think it's being taught in other disciplines? Good question. Uh, I'm, I'm spoiled because my students all go abroad. <laughs> so, um, I have had, uh, yeah. this semester alone, three very intense conversations with students who have apprehensions about applying to programs that take them abroad because they think it'll be too extractive. You know, like, mm. to, like Peace Corps. Yeah. You know, like I'm yeah. just going and I'm doing this. Yeah. How, how do I struggle with this? So um, I feel like this story would... Um, it would resonate with my students who struggle with this, right? That they, they want to bring about change. They're not quite sure how, but they are um, either at or getting to the emotional and intellectual point where they see that charity does not do it. Like, it's not about rallying the troops and sending money somewhere. It's about something else. So a lot of my students grapple with this. is like, how do I be in the world? And how do I support change, but not in this kind of hierarchical or, or extractive way? Uh, one thing that I thought about, and I, I was actually hoping that some of my students um, had read it. Uh, we do this exercise. It's a kind of contrapuntal reading. It's a fancy word uh, that we use. Do you know this mm-hmm. from Edward Said's Culture and Imperialism? So he okay. has this idea. It's a great idea that basically the, the history of uh, of storytelling in Europe is the history of the exclusion of the other, that mm-hmm. part we get. But uh, he talks about contrapuntalism as the representation of power that is informed by the power to represent. So the European can represent the other because of you know these power dynamics and the, the representation of... He has this great line about... Um, how the European novel could not exist without colonialism. Mm. Like, that's how important he thinks colonialism <laughs> is to European yeah. literature. But then he says that the, um, he, he asks us to look for uh, what is present in an absence. So what is not written about, but what's the background? Um, and so I asked students, like, go read a book or watch a movie and do a contrapuntal reading of it. And they're like, okay, wait, there's too much like power, represent contra. I'm like, what's missing? Mm. What's missing? Mm. And how does that missing part represent the power of the storyteller? Nice. Right? And so, you know, they watch Disney <laughs> Disney films are always the easy one, right? Or, they, or, or uh, Joseph Conner, Heart of Darkness, you know, mm. which is what Edward Said wrote his um uh, PhD dissertation on. So they go to these books that they read in school and were told were great books, and now they're <laughs> they're a bit older and they're like, oh my god, like these are the absences, and this is where the power is. And I often emphasize to them that this doesn't mean that we throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's not <laughs> that like okay, so now this okay, now we see what's absent here. We have to get rid of it. No, no, no. It's just about telling a more complicated story where we centralize power and we bring in all of these things. So I think like for me, I contemplated it a couple of times, like maybe, you know, this is a great text to let's do the contrapuntal reading of this. Mm. What's absent? Mm. What's absent in Mm. the text, but we know is present, Mm. right? So the, the, uh, the structure of, um, you know, inequality, the underdevelopment, these things that we talk about a lot in class uh, historically and today, you know, I, I think it would be a great entry point for my students to take what is, like you said, you know, it's a, it's a really nice 
feel-good story, and I'm on board with that. Uh, that was, you know, now being read by middle schoolers. Mm-hmm. And, okay, so now let's bring it to the next level and think yeah. about it that way. And so I, I, I could imagine certainly uh, using this in my intro class as a departure point for a lot of discussion. It's interesting because it's like how students take it. You know, it, mm. that's a, that's a. It, it depends on what student we're talking about, right? Um, you know, as he said, I'm kind of spoiled as well with this kind of social justice documentary mindset type of student that comes into mm. the course. But then, if I gave it to my intro class or or my uh, film analysis class, will they have the same kind of connection to it? Um, and even this idea of like being able to show them something like this or have them you know read a book like this and and to see how they respond to it after the experience because mm-hmm. there's a lot of growth that happens from August until now you yeah. know now we're in what yeah. uh, November and I guarantee you their perception of of the continent of Africa has changed. Their perception of mm-hmm. of uh, you know uh, Tanzanias have, have really changed. Um, and it's and it's always that that kind of because every night we do a reflection. Like we you know, we go out and film, we come back, we eat dinner, and reflections can last an hour or five hours. Mm-hmm. And it's emotional. It's an emotional kind of connection to what we experienced out there. Um, we we always kind of take it from the the, the premise of, of privilege, power, and difference. And this concept of really, um, you know, how or how how you reacted to the so, you know, society and not just kind of, you know, we, we, we did all our research, we have all mm-hmm. our content, but how is it truly affecting you? And it, and it gets really personal for a lot of people. And, you know, and they build genuine relationships. So before they left, I think their their reaction to the book would have been different. But now when they're mm-hmm. back, I guarantee you it would have been a more personable kind of connection to the importance of always writing back or always mm-hmm. replying or always so I think that will definitely resonate with them deeper now than it would have like literally four weeks ago yeah. um, but that's because they had a very immersive experience so I think it would benefit the importance of sustaining those relationships and also giving them an idea or an example of how realistic these goals are right so we're talking $45,000 for a well before it had been like, eh, that's a lot of money. Now it's like, let's go do it, yeah. right? And I think, but this gives them a realistic, you know, a, a realization that those things are possible if you really focus on that. And in this case, they're not just helping one, but they're helping many. And I think yeah. that would motivate them. I think it could be a good motivation factor for a lot of people. You know, we do want these feel-good kind of endings and stories, but um, there's a lot of frustration that goes along with that, right? Yeah. We're talking about, you yeah. know, we're going to spend $45,000 for a well, but there's a lot of you know, political mess that we have to kind of go through to even get to that part. So, you know, but they, they get to know and learn all these different aspects of it. But I think mm-hmm. this book would definitely be a motivator for them to go out and really push through all the negativity to really fight for that, that sense of change. And, and in, their, in their case, they really want to have a sustainable well by the end of the school year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I hope this cool. book helps motivate them to do that. Uh, has anyone read this essay, How to Write About Africa? Mm. I read this. It's uh, you know I'm embarrassed. I can't remember the writer's name because I signed the I signed the text in my in my intro class, <laughs> and it's this really short kind of four. He just he recently died in the summer. Oh, wow. um, I, it was an older piece that he wrote about the common representation. So he's like, it's how to write about Africa. In the beginning, he's like, oh, you're going to Africa. Let me tell you what to write. Mm. And he just you know it's four pages of this like 
people are this, people are that, people, and it's really kind of it's in its uh, portrayal of the disempowerment of Africans. It's actually very like the idea is that by the end of it, you're like, oh my god, this is how I see the world, <laughs> right? Like I am, I am kind of in this. Like he's writing about me, wow. and I think like that juxtaposition of that essay and this would be really interesting mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, it's a great, and the students are really like I have to tell them at the beginning this is a joke it's not like he's not this is not an instruction manual for when you go to Africa like you don't find you don't go looking for that thing but that's what he's saying is that the narratives of uh, uh, the other the, and the narratives of Africa that are prevalent in the West uh, are here are, are this and I think that like um, you know when our students go by I almost always want to That's give them nice. that it's mm-hmm. a short wonderful uh, wonderful piece yeah. yeah I'll send it to you I'll send it to you it's really great yeah it's really great yeah. one of the um, one of the I guess I have two little passages or two parts I I have here that we could do like a close reading of as an English major right that's what I'm thinking about um, there's the moment when Caitlin's family hosts the foreign exchange student mm-hmm. um, and then we also have the the local homeless person mm-hmm. scene when she mm-hmm. gives the pizza to him yeah. yeah so we could go, I think we could go back to that I could read a little passage of it and we could dig into that foreign exchange student we haven't like even touched in any of these episodes yet we have not talked about the is she from Germany the foreign yes, yes, student. What's her name? Oh, Stephanie? Oh, 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 yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> the That's right. The German foreign student. I forgot about yeah. that. Right. Where's the maid? I forgot about the German. Yeah. Where's the maid? Tell me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if I've, like, worked... I don't know if I've, like, figured out a way to, like, work through that scene, but... Oh, what a, what a time. That was so... <laughs> she seemed delightful. Yes. Right. Yeah. And also, like, my impression, too, is, like, Caitlin was also, like, oh, this person is just, like, does she not understand how hard my life is mm. because I don't have a maid and she expects it? Mm. And that was Ugh. another question of, like, what, what, why was this put in this story? Mm. What was this supposed to inform me about? Um, no. But up to you. We can, I don't care which passage we're going to look at or we're going to do homeless man with the pizza it's like not a great image of Caitlin or I guess maybe Caitlin's character I, I don't she's finally starting to realize she has privilege but hasn't fully come there yet so right. doesn't understand right here maybe I'll read that yeah maybe I'll read that part so I'm on the bottom of page 183 so there was leftover pizza there they were at an event um the woman who had organized the event asked my mom if she wanted to take them, them being the pizzas, home. We'd love to, I said, before my mom could even say a word. My mom looked bewildered. We can give it to that guy who lives in Lansdale, Mom, I said, the Vietnam vet. There was a homeless man who lived in the nearby town. The rumor was that he had fought in the war and came back slightly crazy. Not in a scary way, more in a he-prefers-living-on-the-streets way. I remember the very first time I saw him. I was in the fifth grade and riding in the car with my mom. He was searching through the garbage outside of a diner dressed in very dirty jeans, an old stained sweatshirt, and an army jacket. What's he doing? I asked. 
probably looking for food, my mother answered. Not everyone is as fortunate as we are, Caitlin. I had seen him a dozen times since then, and he was always wearing that same jacket. We looked in all his usual spots, the shop and safe parking lot, the train station, the town park. I finally spotted him in the bushes behind the Burger King drive-thru. Mom stopped the car, and I got out with the pizza boxes. I thought you might like this, I said, handing over the boxes. It's really good pizza. He took the boxes without looking at me or saying a word. I got back in the car with all these thoughts buzzing in my head from how can a person be homeless in our country to what happened to him in Vietnam that would make him choose that lifestyle. I didn't have answers, but I made a pact with myself that I would never be mean ever again to anyone because he or she had dirty hair or smelled bad or was poor or didn't have shoes. It's hard for me to read that and not write like not acknowledge the presence of PTSD mm-hmm. right and it's it's hard for me to think about the fact that her mother has not talked to her about that yeah. right like the the rumor was that he came back slightly crazy not in a scare like yeah. what parent has not Inf- like like there's such a conversation that needs to be had that's just like not being had and it's not that she's too young right and that's oh. that's my question is like <laughs> is it even like going through it again like just hearing like um you know especially that last line you know um the the conclusion was I, I didn't have answers but I made a pack with myself I would never be mean or you know mean you know too right. because of the dirty hair smelling bad you know smelling bad or or didn't have any shoes. Um, I, I question like who's the target audience now for this book, right? So, yeah. if it's a younger audience or these kids that you know these kind of middle school kids are, you know, we've been talking about all these issues of colonialism and then you know kind of these uh, overarching you know uh, themes. But you know, I'm looking at it from perspective of teaching this to college students and things like right. that. But if I had this passage and I read this to my college students, it would seem a little bit elementary in a way yeah. or uh, you know kind of you know is this are these the lessons that we're talking about here mm-hmm. or, or will my students get a lesson from this you know are we so I'm, I'm really I'm really now asking the question who is she targeting who's her who's the audience for this book mm-hmm. right um, is it the college level because um, if it was are we going to now talk about the issues that you're saying with PTSD or so that kind of jumps into mind when when I'm thinking about who you know, and and also the age that she was at around this time she, when she was younger, um, you know. But does she kind of, she doesn't really come back to this later either, you know, exactly. to really kind of talk about the growth that she had and and you know, kind of reflecting on the 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 feel the feeling that she had as that young woman and now being a you know uh, be, you know growing into a woman like that she still had that same belief now, you know, and it kind of, from the the closing, it still kind of went back to this kind of elementary kind of, you know, mindset of like, that's that target audience that she's looking for. That's that's what kind of, I'm questioning in ways as as looking at that passage. And furthermore, right, like we're thinking, this question of target audience, the book as it stands right now, if we were to teach it to a college student, requires a lot more effort, I think, on the reader's part. We can't just read this and take it at face value. Mm-hmm. Every single phrase, sentence, yes. paragraph requires yes. like a very critical eye that's informed by a lot more than just the text in front of us. Mm-hmm. But 
if a younger student is reading this at face mm. value, right, that it, it, they are the target audience. Mm. What are they, what do we imagine that they're getting mm. from, from this passage, mm. right? <laughs> do they think, like if I read the phrase that there was a rumor, he came back slightly crazy, not in a scary way, he prefers living on the streets way. Mm. I used to take stuff that I read out of books when I was a kid all the time, and I'd mm. repeat it. And, and there's not a statement that goes against her, her thought process mm-hmm. about that, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And so it's like, are we, are we perpetuating yeah. these ideas? And they're small, but I think they're really meaningful, right? Does this perpetuate colorblindness? Yeah. Does this perpetuate oh, white absolutely. savior complex, right? Like, yeah. And is yeah. this perpetuating, right? Like, like, how can a person be homeless in our country? I didn't have the answers. Mm. Do I, as a seventh grader, then say, oh, there's no answers mm. to that, mm-hmm. right? Like, and so even... And like I think you said, every, where was mom? Well, you know, right, yeah. right. Or that he made a choice. Like yeah. That, right. The next, yeah. Right. The next right. question uses the language of choice. Right. And then on the next page, there's this, like, oh, now I'm connecting the dots. Like, now I'm seeing mm-hmm. that there's material inequality. But it's not... It's just like, well, I have to be nice to the person with zits now. Like, that's the conclusion. And I think that, you know, that's not the conclusion. Like, that's great. That's really nice. And I think we can all agree that we want to be... The problem, I think, or the thing that we're talking about, if I'm... Is that, you know, the the book doesn't do that for us. Like, it, it doesn't tell us, like... Okay, you know the mom. The, the mom is like intervenes when it's time to organize things and to do that. And those interventions are incredible on how she just kind of takes over and does things. Like his, none of those things would have happened without the mom. Like that's mm-hmm. we know that, right? Um, but why doesn't the mom be like, well, you know, there right. was right. this and then, I mean, I, I just again, I'm not sure that it fits the the trajectory mm-hmm. of it. But I what I think is problematic about it is that it concludes with be nice like it concludes with uh, connect, I connected yes. the dot I'm always going to be nice from now on like mm. that's great that's wonderful and like right. I appreciate that somebody I mean we all struggle with being nice and kind especially people we don't know but like we should also reflect then why? on why is somebody in that particular mm-hmm. you know it yes. um, reminds me when we were kids we always used to make fun of people who had bags from the store called Byway because it was an inexpensive, like, you know, kind of the dollar store of mm-hmm. my childhood or whatever. Mm-hmm. But we all shopped there, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> like, we all had a sense, like, we all struggled, right? But we would still make fun of each other yeah. for struggling. Yeah. Like, it was right. just a, um, you know, but at the time we had a sense um, that, like, you know, whenever we were this age or whatever, we we had a sense that things were, it wasn't about being nice. It was that our parents had to go there, like, yeah. because of this reason or that reason. or um, And I, I just took a peek to the discussion questions at the back that are included, and I think that uh. it would have been nice if those questions had invited the reader to think beyond. I'm not sure that they yes. that they do like like we're yeah. doing that, and I yeah. think that's that's the point of engaging with a book. Right. Um, but it would have been really nice if the the questions at the end were less mm. like, "What does Damon say yeah. about?" Yeah. or "What are the similarities?" Like those are good questions. Yeah. I think they're very good. But also like, 
you know, what's happening in that moment. Before I read yeah. those questions, I was like, oh, those will be great for the podcast. Like, yeah. I don't even need to come up with questions. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I was looking at the discussion questions and I said, you know, what are the implications of these questions or what is, yeah. what is the message yeah. being sent behind them? Like, um, you know, the first, why does Caitlin choose someone from Zimbabwe as her pen pal rather than someone from somewhere more relatable, like Germany or England? <laughs> well, that, like, that, what kind of answer are you going to get from that question yeah. that isn't perpetuating the, quote, exotic yeah. Zimbabwe from the first chapter? It's not yeah. undoing yeah. what we were told in yeah. the beginning. Um, and that... It's just tough. It's just tough. It's tough. Um, well, like the question 15, describe the boys from Mary's Brothers School and compare them to Martin. Um, you know, like that might be an entry point. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of reflection about how they come from, they have shoes, they have clothes, they have different things. Mm-hmm. Like, And there is a sense of the, the social stratification in Zimbabwe mm-hmm. there. But yes. it's, it's not like it doesn't come to... That analysis doesn't come to Philly. It doesn't come, like, it's not between the U.S. and Zimbabwe. It's there. Yeah. But even that question is, is very passive, you know, like, describe yeah. the difference. Like, oh. Or the, why does Caitlin feel bad about telling Martin about her teen drama? Should she feel bad? It's like, okay, that's, now we're talking about white guilt, right? Mm. And, mm. and ugh, ugh, right? Like, uh, I, was, I was disappointed by I was just yeah. those questions. Um, but I, uh, it just requires a lot of work on our part, which yeah. both of you make me feel, and Gina, obviously, you all make me feel very confident that the way that this book is being taught or would be taught on this campus is would create a fruitful conversation. But I guess in part, it's like the fear that it won't always be taught the right way or for a first year student who reads this before they come to campus mm-hmm. what kind of impression are they getting what what does this tell them about you know now I'll be dramatic but what does this tell them about Villanova's mission what does this tell mm-hmm. them about the university as a whole and what they stand for what are they promoting mm-hmm. um, it, it makes me think of like Catholic, I'm not a Catholic but like Catholic charity and doing mm-hmm. good and like so it is this us yeah. promoting this as this is what yeah. what doing good looks like? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know what would be really interesting? I, was, I, I forgot to mention this earlier. I have students who participate in the Day of Service every mm-hmm. year, and it's fascinating to talk to them after mm-hmm. because they, I mean, I would love for to, to take a student who participates in the Day of Service, have them read this book, and what are they? Because my students, they all say basically the same thing, like, yeah, it's great that I went and cleaned up this, stuff, but I'm not mm-hmm. sure what happens the week after. Like, I'm not right. sure what happens the month after. Yeah. And there's a very comparable narrative, I think, in what they tell me about the day of service. Mm-hmm. Like, this idea of, like, we just, we do good for a day. Like, yeah. same thing with MLK Day. Like, we just, like, one day right. we pack the, you know, and that's it. Like, the other 364 <laughs> days, we don't have to worry. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And so that would... It's like uh, what you were saying with the water bottles. It's like, yeah. I give you a water bottle now, yeah. but then tomorrow, yeah. when you don't have the water bottle... Yeah, what do you do? <laughs> yeah. I did the yeah. day of service last year with the English department, or like the small group of us that went, and we went to like a, a public school in South Philly, if I'm remembering this correctly, and we were painting the bathroom stalls 
mm-hmm. with the students. The students like had the opportunity as extra credit to come in and also do service for their own school, which I thought was cool. Yeah. So I got to meet some students. But we were like doodling and painting the bathroom stalls to just like make them look a little bit nicer. But there was this huge like elephant in the room that the entire school was flooded to the point where we could only be on like the third and fourth floors of this school and like ceiling tiles falling on students. And the students are telling me these horror stories of how they like can't be in certain classrooms and how their classrooms are now full. And it's like, I'm sitting here painting bathroom stall doors for a school that is no longer functional as a school, right? And these poor students are probably thinking the same thing. It's like, wow, here I am spending eight hours painting bathroom walls when the ceiling tile is falling on my head. Thanks for coming to help. Right, and it's like, (laughs) it feels feels ignorant on our part. I had no idea what I was signing up for. Like, I just was encouraged to sign up with the rest of the group. Mm -hmm. I had no idea what I would be doing Mm -hmm. until I showed up there. It's like, wow, just like hits you right in the face. And that's Philadelphia, right? Mm -hmm. Which is a city that never gets mentioned in the entire context Mm -hmm. of this book also. And so that's what really they go to South Temple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> they go to yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, But I think it's, you know, that is important to kind of, you know, I always have students that when we go on our, our trips all the time, it's, you know, they think it's going to be a service learning trip or uh, kind of like a day of service type trip. And, and you know, I tell them, that, yeah, it, there is a sense of service to it. But, you know, we go beyond that as well because it's, it's really, you know, we're not there just to serve. We're also there to engage and, and um, you know, kind of build these relationships. So, you know, I, you know, when I, used, I did a lot of day of services and I, you know, I think it's good for you know, people to go out and yeah, get yeah, back to the community in different yeah. ways. Like I said, you know, not everyone's going to serve the same, but I think, uh, you know, building upon those relationships, having those conversations yeah. once again, like you can still yeah. create relationships with mm-hmm. students and, and I've still had relationships with students that I I met, you know, going out and, you know, we were painting gymnasiums, but I would now have them come to Villanova or have them give me a call or, mm-hmm. you know, help them out with their application. So mm-hmm. those kind of, you know, relationships are sustainable. But I think it really comes down to the individual to really kind of reach out while you're there. I think there's an opportunity Villanova gives you, but now I think we have to make it our own to really, you know, kind of figure out how we want to kind of continue those relationships yeah. as we kind of develop them. So, and I never tell, you know, I tell students all the time, don't try to be like me. This is who I am. And I'll, I'll kind of make and, and create those relationships. And I understand, you know, people are busy. People have different, some people are introverted. Some people are experts. Like we all are unique in our own ways of how we give back. Um, but I think, you know, as long as you kind of take that initial step, like, you know, make sure she wrote the letter, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what I have sustained that amount of relationship me personally I don't I don't I think I lost track a long time ago so I do commend her for doing that but um you know but at the same time like I think for me it's 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 we all serve in different ways right and and my way would have been totally different um but I think having that initial that and I, I love that Villanova does is to give you that that initial opportunity to you know, do a day of service, do the MLK, do uh, service learning trips. I'm, I have students in my class now that are about to be project leaders to go to Jamaica. I would love to hear their experience from the service learning to the social justice doc and kind of get a sense of how they feel about that. But I, I, you know, it's 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 hard, you know, because it's like we want to do so much for so many people. 
but what is what is too much and what is too little you know and how can you you know is there a right or wrong you know is she is her family right or wrong you know I don't you know me I commend them for what they did I commend her for what she did but I think that extra layer once again is what do you get out of it besides this, you know just kind of like a checkpoint like I'm, I gave but what did, what did it do for you personally right if you don't have a personal connection to why you're serving mm. then I don't think it makes any sense you know so what was that personal connection that you had in painting a you know, bathroom stall? Right. But what was that personal connection that yeah. you had to it? And I think that's probably what you're struggling with. It's like, if I don't feel like I have a connection to it, I'm like, and then I start questioning my ignorance and why the hell did I sign up for this? And, and what am I doing this for? And, and then now if I have more questions than answers, it's like, or I have questions that I really don't know how to answer. Then I'm like, I, I, is this a waste of time? Or is this, this is another checklist that I, you know, I said I, I serve, you know, and then I start really kind of challenging myself to really go out and do more. Um, but I think it really comes down to the individual and how, you know, what do they feel like is service to them? And it's going to be different for everybody. It's going to be different for the four of us sitting here. But I think it's a it's a hard question to ask sometimes because service can also be damaging. Yeah. You know, it can also yeah. damage relationships and people's mm-hmm. perspective mm-hmm. of who you are. You know, you come down mm-hmm. here, you're, you're going to come down here for the day of service yeah. and then. I ain't going to see you again, so right, right. who cares? Like, you don't care, you know? Yeah, yeah. But it's like, you know, it's hard. It's tough. It, 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 and, it's, and it's something that I feel like is it's necessary, but I think we also need to really challenge people that do it to really push further than that day. Any other, does uh, so anyone have like some closing remarks or <laughs> final thoughts or things that they didn't think that they got out that they wanted to say? As a member of the One Book Committee, how do you feel about this conversation? I thought it was a very enlightening conversation. Uh, I got a lot of new perspectives on the book. Mm-hmm. And I like what you were saying about, you know, reading, like, who is the audience? So, like, yeah. again, if you're reading it as a seventh grader, like, you're reading it at face value. Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah. putting myself back into, a, like, you know, the eyes of a child. Right. Like, wow, that's pretty eye-opening. Mm-hmm. And then also looking at it as, like, a college student. I'm older than a college student, but, you know. Um, <laughs> just yeah. kind of you have to do more work to get yeah. to the meat of it. And yeah. being willing to, like, have those conversations is so important. And, like, hearing what you had to say was a learning experience for me. So I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. Really smart. That's what this is all about, Gina, right? It's very yeah. good. Like, I, you know, honestly, like, I didn't, this wasn't a struggle to read it. I didn't, yeah. even though, we're, you know, we're making these. I, I quite enjoyed the story, in a way, and um, and I, I think, like, Daniela, like, I wanted to hear more about the time at Villanova. Like, I was <laughs> like, okay, when are we getting to Villanova here? Right. <laughs> like, right. and, and then it's... Um, uh, I mean, it's sort of in the background, and then the time at Villanova is not uh, mm-hmm. very present. I think that would have been nice, you know, to hear how the the relationship persisted um, in the university years. But yeah, it's a good read. I, I look forward to giving it to my daughter. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Say, I don't think it was a, yeah. a, a you know, I'm just a hard critic. Period. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I literally, yeah, for yeah. me, it's it's hard for me. You, you ask me my favorite film, or I say I'm, I I I tear it apart, tear it apart. Um, you know but for me if I'm looking at it because anytime I read anything I'm a very uh, visual person and you know kind of thinking about how can I visualize this mm-hmm. into a film or is it a cinematic kind of you know, really it's a it's a Disney movie you know it is a very uh, feel good kind of feel and um, I you know but at the same time I think are there things that 
I would like to see and, and once again we go back to audience as well like how deep can we get um, when it comes to the you know the, this kind of visual dark side of colonialism and things like that when we're talking to it but also is is it about time for these students to actually learn that as well you know seventh grade and you know or wherever you know I think we we do um, you know there were there were moments in here that I feel like were you know problematic but I think there's also moments in here that I feel like definitely are, are, are important you know life lessons for people um, you know I would love my son when they can start reading you know to, you know <laughs> yeah. read this as well but yeah. um, I do think this is a a good entry level kind of book for these conversations about the up um, you know but it's going to take you to do a little bit more work you know having conversations like this after the book is read to discuss and then now okay I think you might be ready to see the darker sides of things mm. but you know if I'm looking at this yeah, I think this is a definitely feel good Disney feel um, and I, you know I commend them for doing it and I, I commend the family for really sticking with uh, that young man and, and really changing yeah. his life forever yeah. it's really incredible oh yeah, yeah. unbelievable yeah, but, I mean the commitment mad respect 4am phone calls yeah, like, yeah. I know and, yeah. and I, I can like, tell you yes, that's, that's I mean, pre WhatsApp right. yeah. <laughs> even in WhatsApp it's hard I'm like oh my goodness I'm like hello can you <laughs> no, I, mean, I can I can hear yeah. their frustration. Oh my yeah. god! You can't, when I'm planning these yeah. trips, I'm like losing. <laughs> it's like I, I booked the hotel. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, yeah. but are you sure I'm good? Yeah, you're good. <laughs> can somebody yeah. go and meet with you yeah. to see? They like, no, you're good. I'm like, oh, then I get there, you don't have a room. I'm like, yeah. oh. <laughs> so is that I can, Who are you? I can feel yeah. those frustrations? Oh, but yeah. no, it was amazing. It was That's it was a good great. book. Well, I will say that Kat, Caitlin on her Instagram, there's like, I think she's trying to make a hashtag trend about making this a movie. Ah. So maybe once the movie comes out, we have another thing to sit down and talk <laughs> yeah, about. Yeah, okay. <laughs> maybe years. Disney will. But maybe, <laughs> maybe you should select like another idea. <laughs> 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 the movie that it reminds me of the time my, my uh, daughter last year when she was in, in grade four, she ran up to me. And uh, because I'm from Canada, I always make fun of the British monarchy. You know, it's kind of a tradition. And my wife is Moroccan, so I always make comments about France and the French oh, colonialism. Yeah. And, you know, just sort of something that's in the background in our house. And she ran up to me one day and she pulled on my arm. She said, Dad, Dad, did you know the British and the French, they colonized most of the world? I said, sit down. <laughs> it's going to be I said, you know, I teach about this stuff, and she was she was going nuts. She like she couldn't believe it. You know, it was just like I can't believe this happened. You know, and and uh, so you know, it's it's good that when kids. I mean, she's just getting that at school. You know, she's not getting that from me, but she knows like. There's now she is. Yeah, though, now. Right? Yeah, yeah. Right. But that's why I want her to. That's you know, I think it'd be good for kids yeah. to to read this. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, next time we want you to join the conversation.